Hi, this is David Olavsky, and welcome back to the Robert Olavsky Show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, it's been a while uh, because, uh, you know, we try not to film on the holidays. And, uh, you know, so we were able to make a few of them beforehand. But, uh, you know, it's been a while. I'm sitting here in the uh, luxurious Robert studio with my uh, Svarim behind me, ready and available for me to just pull out whenever I need them. But anyway, <laughs> through the magic. Anyway, uh, so, uh, oh, yeah. So wherever you, uh, whether you're watching with our friends over at Tony, I forgot the whole spiel. Whether you're watching with our friends over at Tony Time or wherever you watch or listen to your podcasts, as always, it is exciting to have you along as we begin the fifth year of the Rabbi Olavsky Show. This is, we've done four years of this. And as I reflect on these past four years, it is amazing to me that I have the ability to just talk for hours and hours without any preparation whatsoever. Uh, as I did in this podcast, I, um, as I was leaving the house, I said to my wife, what should I talk about? When I got here, I asked my producer, what should I talk about? And finally, it was a member of the studio audience who gave me a suggestion. And I was like, okay, I'll go with that. <laughs> There's another show that actually pays money to take out advertising, you know, and they advertise the topic they're going to talk about this week and the names of the guests who are going to be there. And I said to Mikhail, I said, we should do that too. Say, the Rabbi Olavsky show, this week's topic, your guess is as good as ours. <laughs> Yeah, or this week's topic, open for suggestions. <laughs> yeah, we don't put we don't put a lot of prep into this, you know. But uh that's because I, I I don't want to be this to be static. I want it to be dynamic. And like I say, uh I give a Mozi Shabbos here uh in Harnof. I've been giving it for twenty seven years. And uh some of the recordings you can find on the website at rabbiolowski.com and you can listen, listen there as well. But, um, uh, it used to spend hours and hours preparing. And now when I have a share, so my wife goes into panic mode because she knows already that I spent days preparing. And now I seem much more laid back. And I said, because the podcast has taught me that I can talk without any preparation whatsoever. <laughs> And I can. And in fact, this past week, the shir went for an hour and 10 minutes, not counting the 10-minute introduction that I didn't bother recording. And um, I, uh, I, I, I realized it's like the story where the person says, I have to write you a long letter because I don't have enough time to write you a short one. So I just have so much to say. What can I tell you? I've got so much to talk about and to share and in fact, we have a couple of new series that will be coming up this uh, this year. Suggestions. People send in suggestions. Why don't you talk about this topic or that topic? And uh, we're going to uh, – spoiler alert. You know, we're going to be talking about – You know, I had a whole series on uh, how to choose a seminary for the girls. And I just had – over the past year, I had some girls over from different seminaries that they listened to it before making their decision. And then, of course, they went wherever their friends went. But uh, – 
So I had a couple of yeshiva guys say, why don't you give suggestions how to choose a yeshiva? So uh, we're going to be talking about that. We're going to have a series about that. Fascinating concept. Anyway, so we got lots to talk about, uh, as always. And this is the beginning of a new year. Yeah, four years. Four years we're doing this. Uh, it, it was just an idea that I had at some point, and it's taken on a life of its own. It's absolutely amazing. And uh, what can I tell you? Uh, the only reason this still exists is because of you. I know people who make videos and they tell me, oh, yeah, I've got 17 followers, you know. I've got, you know, I had one really good video and had like 112 views, you know. We have thousands and thousands of people who, who not only watch this, but enjoy watching it and get inspiration from it. So as we look back at four years of what we've been able to do, I would like to think in my own small way that we are making a change in class. So I'm just one person. And uh, I, I've mentioned more than once, I used to fly around the world uh, speaking. It's rare now that I get uh, speaking engagements. Um in America, I am planning a trip at some point in November. Um, if anybody uh, uh, knows of anybody who would like to pay me money to come and speak, or just you know do some catering or set up the chairs, I'm, I'm really easy. I'll do anything. <laughs> somebody once asked somebody, you know, because is there any way we can get Rabbi Olavsky to come? Because just offer him money, he's very easy that way. <laughs> I said, when they read my biography, it'll be called All for the Bucks. But anyway, but um, uh, the the fact is that um, um, the fact that, that it's not me, because a person talks, big deal, everybody talks. And and look how many people uh, make recordings you know, and would be thrilled to have the audience that I have, both in terms of number and in quality. Because you know that if you follow this podcast, you are a quality individual. Because I move people outside of their comfort zones. I make them stop and think. Yeah, We had a discussion years ago when I was teaching in a seminary about what's called an intellectual class. So I said, you are confusing intellectual with academic if they give you lots of work to do and they give you lots of reports to write, that's not intellectual, that's academic. That's how good are your library skills, yeah? Um, intellectual means that I am challenging the assumptions that you have. I'm making you go back and think about it. And that's a dangerous thing today. We don't want people to think. And as everyone knows, what's my favorite line? That there was the chorus in my birthday rap that my children wrote. Everybody does what everybody does because that's what everybody does. Yeah. And so when you stop to think, and that's really what we do here. We we move people outside of their comfort zones. We make them think. The story of the Rudman uh, Zatzal, he was in Slobodka. And it was during World War One, and there was no money for food. Was, things were very difficult. And somehow he managed to save up enough money to buy himself a new pair of tzitzis. Now, I don't know if his tzitzis were puzzle, why he decided to use the little bit of money that he had to buy a pair of tzitzis. I'm not sure why. 
But he was obviously very proud of this. It came about through tremendous sacrifice. And, and he showed it to his Rebbe, the Alta of Slobodka. He says, Rebbe, look, I got a new pair of tzitzis. And the Alta took one look and said, maybe you should have given the money to Tzedakah. So the people who were listening all started nodding. Yeah, of course, give it to Tzedakah. Tzedakah, Matzum and Amavis, Tzedakah is much more important. So Ravunama says, nay, 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 you don't understand. If I would have said, Rebbe, I saved him this money and gave it to Tzedakah, he would have said, maybe you should have put a pair of tzitzis. It's not a question of telling everybody what to do. It's a question of encouraging people to think, what is the best thing for me to do in this situation? And that's really what we have tried to do over the past four years, try to give ideas that and every now and then I will, um, uh, every now and then I will give just a pretty straight Dvar Torah. Sometimes I'll talk about issues and uh, I'll give you my opinion on it, which may or may not uh, be your opinion. It may or may not be right, but... Uh, uh, you can't you can't just limit yourself to being right all the time. My gosh, that gets so boring. You know, I uh, when I was running NCSY, one of the advisors who was working there said, "You know, it's very frustrating because you're always right." I said, "You mean because I think I'm always right?" No, no, no. You're always right. How do you think that makes us feel? We want to do a pro- program or a project, and you say it's not going to work for reasons X, Y, and Z. And we fight with you, and we do it, and it doesn't work for exactly the reasons that you said. How do you think that makes us feel? I said, I'll try to be wrong uh, more often. That's hard for me. I was wrong once, but it turned out I was mistaken. <laughs> anyway, so uh, so that's what we're doing here. And I... I said it before, and I'll say it again. I'll sit on this egg to the end of the day. Oh no, that's the wrong one. Yeah, I said it before, and I'll say it. <laughs> I said it before, and I'll say it again. Yeah, that the fact that people take out time from their lives to listen to anything that I have to say is such an enormous covenant. And uh, when I meet people as I travel about, and people come over to me and say, "You know, I listen to the." podcast, or I really enjoy the podcast, or I get a lot of chizik on the podcast. You have no idea what this means to me. You can't, you cannot, but, and people say, you know, I'm sure you hear this all the time, you know, and now it doesn't register. <laughs> when you're saying it to me, it means more than, than I can put into words. So I will express it through creative dance. <laughs> anyway, you won't find that on any other Torah podcast. I trust me on that one. <laughs> it's the only place. All right. Enough self-congratulatory um, uh, celebration. Uh, in the past, I had the whole show just focusing on this. And now, okay. You know, after a while, and, you know, birthdays, you know, they're very exciting when you're four, you're five, you're six, you're seven. When you're 49, 50, 51, 52, you shouldn't reach that same level of excitement. So what are you doing for my birthday? <laughs> yeah. So, okay. When you reach a major one, my 60th birthday, we had a big party. Because it means you're not chayiv kares. One of the forms of kares is that you die young, which means by the age of 60. If you made it to 60, that means that uh, you are not chayiv that form of kares. There are three types of kares. There's the dying young. So it means you're out of that one. Dying without children, Baruch Hashem, I've got children. And the third one is having no place in Olam Haba. Whoops! 
<laughs> guess I guess I should have gone with the dying young one. Anyway, but uh, hopefully, hopefully I'll be up there. I have my Rebbe, Rebbe Yaakov Whale, who was Mamish Makari of me, and uh, a very, very special individual. But he would say to me all the time, he says, Reb David, I'm getting into Olam Haba on your shoulders. And I said, Rebbe, we are both in a lot of trouble. <laughs> anyway, okay, so enough about that. We have a sponsor this week. Am Yisrael Chai, a wonderful organization, does a lot of important work in uh, uh, Eretzel, many different ways. But interestingly enough, the episode is not sponsored by Am Yisrael Chai. It is sponsored by the Am Yisrael Chai's fifth annual dream raffle. Forget about all the wonderful work that they do. Money, my friends, money for you. <laughs> this is sponsored by pure greed. That's what our sponsorship is. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and tell you, Am Yisrael Chai does all kinds of wonderful work and support them. No, no, this is for you, not for them. This is for you. Have you ever dreamed of owning a luxury apartment in the heart of Yushalayim, one with views of Harabayas and a million-dollar value? Oh, yeah. Sure I have. Frankly, I would like someone to fix the leak in my uh, ceiling that when it rains, it all comes pouring down in my bedroom. I, I, I have such low expectations, but a million-dollar apartment with views of uh, Harabayas? Yeah, I could I could go for that. Yeah. By entering the fifth annual dream raffle brought to you by Am Yisrael Chai, that dream can be a reality. Enter now at thedreamraffle.com. That's one word. The, T-H-E, dream, D-R-E-A-M, raffle, raffle, dot com. Yeah? Raffle, R-A-F-F-L-E. I'm just kidding. When I went to say, how come you didn't spill out the raffle? Yeah, it's all one word, thedreamraffle.com. To take advantage of a special two ticket for one deal. You know what that means? That means you increase your luck, your opportunity two times. I'm not going to go into all the math here, but trust me on this one. Yeah. <laughs> and be sure to use discount code Orlovsky at checkout for an additional $10 off Gadzooks. A million-dollar apartment, and you get two tickets for the price of one, and it's $10 off. I'm talking to Jews here. <laughs> Which part of this don't you get? <laughs> it was a non-Jew who wanted to convert to Judaism, so he joins a conversion course. And uh, two years. And at the end of the two years, he gets tested. He gets uh, prismila. He's Teivel in the mikveh, and the rabbi has a certificate in front of him. And he says, Rabbi, so am I a Jew now? He says, well, there's one last thing we need to take care of before I can sign this form. He says, what's that? He says, well, we have to arrange payment. He says, oh, uh, we never talked about that. I said, I know, but there's two years of classes and everything, you know. He says, what's it going to cost? And he says, uh, $10,000. So $10,000, what are you, crazy? I'll give you five. Congratulations, now you're a Jew. <laughs> anyway, for your chance to win, <laughs> go. See, when I do this every week, then I have a little more, you know, a little bit of uh, impulse control. But 
For a chance to win, go to thedreamraffle.com. That's thedreamraffle.com. One word, the Dream Raffle. For your chance to win the Yerushalayim apartment of your dreams. Sometimes dreams do come true. I think that's an A.B. Reitenberg song. Sometimes dreams do come true. Anyway. Okay, so what are we going to talk about? Well, we're starting our fifth year. So, uh, um, there's a Gemara Mesachim, I think I've quoted this beforehand, which says the following. If you take a, uh, see a, you take a big step, take a large step, whatever that means. Yeah, mommy, may I take one giant step? Yeah. It's one step for man, one giant leap for mankind. So this is one giant leap. <laughs> yeah. Take a, see a gasa, take a big step. Yeah. So the Gemara says you take a big step, you lose one five hundredth of me'or enav. Me'or enav, the light of your eyes. Pashtus, it means your eyesight. Could mean other things, but okay. You lose one five hundredth of your eyesight. So Taisus asks an obvious question right on the spot. Says, so then 500 big steps, and I'll go blind. And yet we see that doesn't happen. So his first answer is a version of Zeno's paradox. For those of you not familiar with Zeno's paradox, I can't even believe I'm doing this. So Zeno's paradox is that if I want to walk from here to there, I'll never get there. Why? Because in order to get there, by definition, I have to work half the space. And then I have to walk half the space, and then I have to walk half of that space and half of that space, and I'll never get there because I keep walking half the space. So obviously it's not true, because we know you do arrive at the destination. That's why it's called a paradox. Yeah? Um, it's uh, it's uh, similar to, uh, you know, when the doctor sends you to go and see the orthopedist because you have to see a paradox. <laughs> but anyway, um, so... The, uh, that's his answer. His answer is you lose one five hundredth, and then the next big step you lose one five hundredth of what's left, and the next big step you lose one five hundredth of that, etc. And it's always a portion of what remains. Okay. Um, his second tariff is it's only the first step, meaning if I walk you know, 100 miles. You ever hear the expression, walk a mile in his shoes? Uh, you, 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 you walk that mile. And somebody said to me once, and, I, and I've really tried to take this to heart, before you fight with somebody, walk a mile in his shoes. That way, if he still wants to fight with you, you're a mile away and you have his shoes. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. So you walk a mile. Yeah, walk a mile to... To, to get wherever you're going. Walk 10 miles. Walk 100 miles. Yeah? It only goes based on the first step, says Taisvis. Why? What does that mean? That means that the first step is the hardest step because that step begins the journey. I'll give you an example. Um... The Oisius de Rabbi Akiva, we've quoted this beforehand, where it says, when Hashem got ready to create the world, we're right towards the beginning of the Torah. 
So all the letters were arguing who should be the first letter in the Torah. Lamed said, I'm the tallest. Tough said, I'm worth the most. Ooh, tough guy. Yeah. Um, uh, Yud says, I represent Ruchnias. I fly, I, I float above the line. I'm not connected anywhere. And each one brought their argument except for Aleph. Aleph says nothing. And Hashem says, Aleph, why aren't you saying anything? And he said, cause I'm a silent letter. <laughs> No, he didn't say that, but I think that's such a great answer. <laughs> Olive, why aren't you saying anything? Because I'm a silent letter. Anyway, that's what Olive says. Olive says, why do I have to say I'm worth the least? I'm only worth one. Hashem says, I'm also only one. So Olive says, you're going to start with me? Since <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. You're only worth one. I'm going to go with base. <laughs> Beis is worth two, because Beis is the letter of bracha. Why? Because bracha means to increase. When you have one, you have two, you've increased. And that's why the Maharal points out that the word bareich is made up of the letters that numerically equal two, twenty, and two hundred. It's always more. Bracha is always more. Now, we've quoted this, uh, this medrash in different contexts, but there's one aspect of it here. What are they arguing about? Who's going to come first? What does it make? So because hakol holech achor hatchola, whatever letter you start with, that is what the entire direction of the bria is going to be. Kol hascholas koshes. However you start, everything follows afterwards as a result of that first decision. Now, some of you are in positions in life now where you know this clearly, and other people, uh, you've had some of these decisions, right? So, uh, we talked about choosing a seminary, we're going to be talking about choosing yeshiva, yeah? So, when you make that decision, that decision is going to set into motion uh, a lot of other things in your life. I knew nothing about the Israeli educational system. And I had to decide where to send my kid, a couple of different schools. And once I decided on which school I was going to send them to, I found out all my other decisions were made for me. Now I know what hashkachas I eat. I know which newspaper I read. I know what I'm allowed to wear. I mean, all my decisions were made for me already. <laughs> but it came out of that first decision. We had a whole series on Shidduchim. So you understand, when you make that decision who to marry, that decision sets into motion a whole bunch of things that are going to follow in its wake. But it's all coming as a result of that first decision. So when you make a decision, that first decision sets things into motion. I live here in Eretzschel. It's a very difficult decision to talk about making Aliyah. By the way, we had a series on that. Yeah. So uh, deciding whether or not to live in Eretzel. But once you make that decision, that sets into motion a whole bunch of other decisions that are going to follow in its wake that you may not have thought about or considered. And so the beginning sets the, the entire direction of everything you're going to do. 
That's the hatchala. That's why hatchala is cautious, because the implications that come after it. I've told this story before, but it's a it's a, an important story. I was at a Shabbaton someplace in the world for students. You know, it was a student organization making a Shabbaton for students, and I was speaking there. And just before Mincha, the fellow in charge comes bounding to me, bursting with happiness and pride. Obviously, if you know me, I have to do something about that. <laughs> I once had a student in Ur-Samech from South Africa uh, whose mother was a Beis Yaakov girl and his father was in the Hell's Angels. Boy, would I like to meet that shadchan. <laughs> anyway, that's a recipe to get a guy really messed up. And this guy later joined the Hells Angels himself, and he was in the South African Army and all kinds of things, and, you know, pretty tough fellow. And um, uh, sweet as can be, but, you know. So he said to me once, because, I believe when you have a bad attitude, you shouldn't save it for yourself. You should share it with others. <laughs> anyway, this guy comes bounding, so excited. And he says, so it's a really successful Shabbaton. I said, really? Why? He says, well, uh, there's a lot of students and they're all having a good time. I said, was the purpose of the Shabbaton to get a lot of students together and give them a good time? And he pauses and looks at me and says, well, what should be the purpose of the Shabbaton? And I said, Shabbos Mincha is the wrong time to ask that question. That's the question you ask before you plan the Shabbaton. First, think it through. We are coming out of a very special holiday season which I can guarantee you not everybody had my foresight. And I, in fact, I don't think I really did a podcast on this, and I should have, um, because organization is my life. I love planning things, you know, and arranging things. And uh, I ran an organization for nine years. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been put into these positions of organizing things. I like to be, you know, thoughtful of how it goes. So I looked at the calendar. And I saw what everybody saw, but not everybody understood it with my level of depth of sense. I said, we're going to have a Shabbos, and then two days Rosh Hashanah, and then a Shabbos, and then Erev Yom Kippur and Motzi Yom Kippur Sudas, and then a Shabbos, and then we're going to have Sukkot, and then a Shabbos Chalmoid, and then we're going to have Semchas Torah, and then we're going to have a Shabbos. Do you realize how many Shabbos, Yantif, Sudas are there. And if you didn't think about this, you suddenly find yourself making, you know, uh, chicken and rice again until you're facing an angry mob, people, you know, who are just tired of the same food over and over again. I'm tired of the chicken and the chicken and the chicken. Some mix taking the lick. And then I want to go home. <laughs> this was uh, my good friend and inspiration, Jack Bromwitz. We were at National Convention when I was the Long Island Regional Director, and he made a song for us to march into. 
It was at the La Vista, Lashal. And uh, he wrote a, this song. We were all doing sort of like a, you know, Harry Belafonte kind of a dance, you know. It's one, it's six speech, seven speech, eight speech lunch. We hate the La Vista and we want to go home. <laughs> it didn't make us very popular, but that was never our goal. <laughs> you know, I lived by the credo, when you have a bad attitude, don't say it for yourself, share it with others. <laughs> but, uh, so I sat down and I con- sent out to all my kids. Yeah, the the schedule. And I said, I'm open for suggestions. And I said that I was Chodesh Elo, and everyone's laughing at me. They said, Abba, you know. But you see, you suddenly wake up in the middle, and you realize, oh, my gosh, I, I didn't think about what I'm going to do. I, of course, had planned out all of the menus for all of the meals. I varied them. I moved things around. I uh, bobbed and weaved thinking what I'm going to serve here and what with what and this and the desserts. And I had everything uh, worked out. And it was about halfway through that my kids were like, oh, my gosh, this is this is great. Like, you know, we're having something different at every moment. Oh, who could have anticipated this? Who? Me. That's who. First you think, why am I doing this? What's the purpose? And people don't think about it. People just meander through life. They don't know where they're going. And so that first step takes you where you're going to go. And and if you don't think about it, like a river that just keeps on flowing, I took a wrong turn and I just kept going. How many people have I met like that? They are set on a particular path. And even when they realize it's wrong, they will continue it. Listen to this story. Everybody I've told this story to uh, finds it disturbing. This young lady was going for a degree at a university for a particular uh, profession. She was three and a half years through the four-year program when she suddenly realized, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do it. And she dropped out and did something else that she wanted to. She spent her time pursuing whatever it is that she wanted. And uh, everyone who hears this story is like, it's only another half a year. Another half a year and you'll have your degree. I said, she'll have a degree in something that she doesn't want. They're like, but so what? You've already invested three and a half years. Just finish it up. You understand? Invest a half a year of your life to finish something that you don't want. As the old expression goes, anything not worth doing is not worth doing well. If you don't want to do it, what's the point? Because finish it. Just keep going. That's what people do with life. Before computers used to be able to print out for you lines of different sizes and shapes. Now, of course, you know, you have so many options available. You know, these people change the font like over and over again. By the time they're done, they make a flyer. It looks like a hostage note. But, um, uh, you know, before they had that, you had to actually take a ruler, measure how big it is, and draw the lines. 
So this guy is doing this. He needs six sheets. He's on the third sheet. He's drawing lines in the third sheet. And I'm watching. I like to believe I'm an observant Jew. And I'm watching him do this, and I say, why don't you just photocopy the first sheet that you made? When are you going to sit there and measure out lines and draw all six sheets? There was a moment of hakar. As Winston Churchill says, man will occasionally stumble upon the truth, but he usually picks himself up and keeps going. So there was that moment of hakara, and he looks down at the paper, and he looks at the next three sheets, and he looks at me, and he goes, I'm almost done. <laughs> because cause cause cautious. But once you're going, you will continue on that path no matter what is happening. Think think it sounds crazy? Yeah? The Chazal tell us that the Mitzvah chased after the Jews into the Yamsuf, and then the Yamsuf closed. And the people who were coming up kept marching in. You already saw the sea close. You see everybody drowning. And you keep marching in because that's where I'm supposed to go. That's that's just the way people are. They The first step makes that decision. And if you want to change your life, you have to make that decision. That's why you ever meet people who've actually turned their life around. So that first decision is a very important decision because they understand, if they're smart, the implications of this. And this is going to lead to this and lead to this and lead to this. And okay. I've chosen to travel this road, this path, and there's going to be uh, consequences. Life has consequences. Okay, so that's our message for this podcast. And that is that starting things are difficult. Making a decision. It's a new year. It's a new year starting the Torah over again. I will make a quick pitch for Shnai Mikrave Echad Targum, which is a mitzvah and is a good thing to do and is very worthwhile. And it's still right at the beginning. Even if you fell behind, you can catch up. And uh, at the end of the year, you turn around and say, I finally finished Shnai Mikrave Echad Targum. I met people who tell me every year I start and I never finish. That's what happens. Do you know how many people have read the Psicha to... Some people have even gotten through the mitzvahs Ase, Losa Ase, and Klolis. And then once they hit the book, that's it. They just, they fall apart. <laughs> but luckily, you know, there's a cycle, so you can do it like every three months. And every three months, they do the psicha over and over again. Because <laughs> to start things are hard. You have to follow them through. It takes conviction, Right? Yeah, and once you've been convicted, then that that will determine what you'll do for the next twenty years. <laughs> so, Mitzvah Hashem, as we start a new year, a new year of the Rabbi show, a new year for Klal Yisrael, all of the wonderful things we should make our decisions to start this year in a way that is going to bring us to a conclusion. I've said this word many times beforehand from the Satma Rebbe. Yeah, any Hashem. Hashem watches Eretzel, Mireshi's Hashana at Acharishana.
says it should have either said Mereshis Hashana at Achris Hashana or Mereshis Shana at Achris Shana. What does it say? Mereshis Hashana from the beginning of the year until the end of a year. It says because everybody starts the year thinking this is going to be the year, and at the end it just turns out to be a year. Let's make this year the year. And now we come to the question and answer portion of our program. I hope I pronounce this correctly. Yaakov Yaroslavitz asks, What is the hardest topic time of the year to prepare a speech or drusha for? Um, I Sometimes are challenging, but without a doubt, I have to say Tisha because my heart's not in it. I keep hoping this isn't going to happen. You know, they tell a story. Uh, the Bach married the Taz's daughter. When she died, he gave an unbelievable husband. And uh, after the probably amount of time, she had a sister. He wanted to marry the sister. The Bach said, no, not another one. He says, why? He says, that Hesped was too good. You had to have prepared it while my daughter was still alive. And if you could write a Hesped for someone who's still alive, I don't want you marrying any of my other kids. And that's how I feel when you're preparing for Tishabov. We just take it for granted. I've often run a program on Tishabov, and people say to me, this was the best Tishabov I ever had. I can't wait till next year. <laughs> that's very hard. It's really hard. It's, uh, you know, I don't do tragedy and mourning well. It's not my, it's not my thing. I'm not into it. So that's probably the hardest. Benny Malik asks, you often talk about the idea that Hashem understands our natures and what we are and aren't capable of. But how does that fit in with the various chazal that describe severe punishments for certain avarists? children dying, etc. Are they just there to scare us? They're not there to scare us. They're there to teach us a very important point. Actions have consequences. And, you know, people don't realize it. There was a guy who uh, made a lot of serious mistakes in his marriage. Really bad ones. And his wife tolerated a lot, but at some point she just had enough. And Besley had him move out. And um, at some point, he became a Breslover. And he was born again. And he decided he's going to fix everything. And he would say to me over and over again, Rab Nachman says, believe that you can be mekalkel, you can be metakin. Believe if you can mess up, you can fix up. And when he finally gave the get, I said to my wife, I guess it's not always true. Sometimes you mess up and you can't. You don't have the opportunity to fix it up. Um, my good friend Benji Reisman told me a story that's amazing. This is from a guy and he suddenly made an enormous amount of money. Like, like, sick amount of money. And it went to his head. And he ran around for years, years, left his family. And he ran around with starlets and models and, and fast cars. And there's uh, everything you could possibly imagine. 
And eventually, after all the drugs and everything, he finally sobered up and he comes back home after years. I was like, hi, kids, I'm back. And they look at him and said, what, are you kidding me? You know, you missed my bar mitzvah. You weren't around for the most important events in my life. Now you're going to walk in here and again say, hi, Tati's home? It doesn't work that way. Actions have consequences. There are a lot of times that the Torah tells us there's a death penalty. But the Gemara in Marcus says that if you gave out the death penalty once in 70 years, you were called a bloody court. Rabbi Kiva says, I would never give the death penalty. So why do we write the death penalty so often if it's almost impossible to give? Every Dr. Yochanan Zweig, Shiva in Miami, I heard him speak once and he said, if anybody would fulfill all of the conditions to get the death penalty according to the Torah, I would get him off on an insanity plea because the guy's obviously crazy. It's so hard to get yourself killed. Yeah, so many ways out. So, uh, so why is it there? To tell you that there are certain things you do where you lose your life. And whether you lose a papayla or not, it doesn't matter. We talked about this before Shoshana when we said, like, you know, says, Rishayim are written in Sifrei Mavis. Says, but you see, they don't die. Says, they're already dead. They won't be buried for another 30 years, but they're already dead. So you have to know that there are things in this world that have consequences. Mida connected Mida. We do not live in a world with no justice. What goes around comes around. And uh, and the Chazal are there to teach us that there are things that you do that will have um, consequences. And uh, luckily for us, most of us don't have that much kavana. Not when we do mitzvahs and not when we do averas. So the punishment is not going to be that severe because we're, we're not really concentrating on it. Right? The Bali Musa say, what's the purpose of the of Atzlis, everything has a purpose in this world, laziness. So when the Yetzirah wants you to do a, do an Avera, say, yeah, I'll be there in a minute. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to push yourself. You don't have to push yourself so hard to do bad things. Yeah. So, uh, the reason it's put in there is because it, you have to learn because you're going to figure it out at some point. There are no safe spaces. You know, you can't cancel everything and everybody. At some point, you're going to find out that life has consequences. I just saw a story where they arrested this woman. I, the headlines that they arrested this woman for not scanning some items in Walmart as she was checking at the self-checkout. And I thought, wow, that that's really harsh. So then I read the story. It's not so posh. Yeah, it's They happened to see that she didn't scan a few items, and then they checked the security tapes. And they show she's been doing this for months. She stole over $1,000 of stuff by just refusing to scan it, by pretending. But there are cameras there, and they saw it, and they caught it. But, um, uh, hey, you know, you make choices, life has consequences. And that's what the punishments are there for, not to scare us, but to teach us the reality. There are things that you do that are going to have consequences, whether you realize it or not. BK asks... When is someone halachically obligated to forgive someone? If person A calls person B to ask for forgiveness many times, if person B doing an Avera, if she doesn't answer, or says she can't forgive because she's not there yet. 
I had a whole podcast on this before Yom Kippur. I don't remember if it was two years ago, three years ago. It got a lot of response from people because I said, at the end of the day, you have to be real. You know, someone walks around the base magician and does the thing before Yom Kippur and everyone says, yeah, 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 yeah. And you're really not Michael the person, then you're not doing him a service. You're doing him a disservice. You have to be honest. And sometimes people do things and you're not ready to forgive them yet. Yeah. So you got to be honest. Is it the right thing to do? Yes. Should you forgive them? Yes. Should you learn Musr and work on yourself and know the power of forgiveness? Yes. It's a good thing to do. And uh, there are people who struggle with this because sometimes people have done absolutely terrible things to them and there's no remorse. They're, they don't really feel bad. You know? Somebody did a terrible thing to me. Terrible. I may have spoken about it in the past, but I don't want to go into it now. And... Uh, and afterwards, he called up, not to ask Mechila, but just that, you know, let bygones be bygones, after he destroyed everything that I had. But, you know, but I said, he says, look, I'm sure we both did things wrong. And I said, really, what did you do wrong? So I'm sure I did something. Yeah, like what? When you called me a murderer in front of the uh, students, do you think that that was wrong? Whatever, whatever. When you uh, lied about me to the Rosh Hashiva, and when I, do you think that was wrong? I, whatever, whatever. <laughs> so yeah, it's really hard to forgive when someone does something particularly terrible to you and doesn't have any harata or feel bad about it. But sometimes people do things wrong. I've had people be angry at me for something that I proved to them I never did. But they thought I did, and they couldn't forgive me, even though I never did it. <laughs> And I showed them I didn't do it. But they felt like I did, and they were still angry at me. It took them a very long time to forgive me for something I didn't do. <laughs> Anonymous asks, Why did Hashem create us with wisdom teeth if many times they don't grow in straight and many get them pulled? So you can eat all the ice cream you want. <laughs> no, that's not the real reason. It's so that you can get out of a really bad date. No, that's not the real reason. <laughs> I wish I could go by my room. <laughs> the, uh, the real reason is because the human body has a lot of redundancy. They're working on now people who cannot see to reroute the brain through the audio sense and be able to see, see with sound. I have no idea what, I'm t what that means. I, I can't tell you. I'm not a biologist. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> and now I could join the Supreme Court. Anyway, I'm not a biologist. Anyway, but uh, you know, the idea is to <laughs> the idea is to reroute things. So the body has redundancy in it. Makes sense. So, um, Today, we have pretty good dental care, you know. Uh, you can uh, go to the dentist. The dentist will pull out a needle, about four feet long, shove it into your gum, 
until the entire face goes numb. And then we'll take a drill and drill your teeth away. And you see smoke and blood coming out like that, you know? And then they will fill it. Yeah? And you can fill that thing. But in the good old days, the only thing they knew how to do was pull the tooth. So by the time you were 20, being a teenager, the odds that you knocked out a couple of teeth were not that unusual. <laughs> so Kesh Baruch Hu gives you the baby teeth when you're a baby, because if you're born with big people teeth, it's going to be pretty scary. And then they fall out, and then your real teeth come in. And because there's a good chance that either through disease or accident you're going to lose a couple of those, he gave you spare teeth that come in when you're, you know, 18, 20, to fill in any gaps that might be there. And now that people take better care of their teeth, so, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's often redundant. But redundancies have been built into the Bria for good reasons. Dina asks, is it against the Torah to endanger your life? Why did Chana and her seven sons do so? Chana and her seven sons didn't really have much of a choice. The king pulled them in and said, bow down to the idol or I will kill you. <laughs> so there weren't like a lot of options there. She didn't volunteer for this. You know, calling all children who would like to be killed. <laughs> oh, pick me, pick me. <laughs> No, they were taken in against their will. Just like Avram Avinu was given a choice to renounce God or be thrown into a Kivshan Aish. And he chose the Kivshan Aish. You know? So sometimes you have that situation. The question comes up if, can I volunteer for this? So that, I wouldn't say applies to Hannah and her seven sons. But it does apply uh, to Hanani Mishal and Azariah where the uh, Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm going to take three people from every nation and they're going to bow down to this big statue. So they said, what should we do? What should we do? And, uh, and Yechesko Navi said, I have a Messiah from my Rebbe Yimbiyahu. Who has a Messiah from Yishayahu? Buzzing Yishayahu says, when there's danger, run away and hide. My advice to you is... Yeah, exit stage left. Heavens to Murgatroyd. Understand? Feet do your stuff. <laughs> Brave Sir Robin ran away. Yes, he ran away, away. <laughs> when danger showed its ugly head, he turned around and bravely fled. <laughs> Run away. They said, but can we die, Askedish Hashem? They were like, come again. We don't want to run away. We want to show there are Jews who are willing to die for what they believe in. And we're going to stand up there and we're going to say, you know, we will not bow down. I am a Jew and we don't bow. And they will throw us into the kitchen and we will die. Is it okay? And the answer they received was, you don't have to, but if you do, if you choose to die as Kiddush Hashem, you die as Kiddush Hashem. It is not suicide. And that is how the Rambam paskets. This is what the Chashmanayim relied on to fight their battle against the Greeks. Because it was Zedim Biados Gesarasecha. The Greek army, which was so unbelievably powerful in the 
15 Decisive Battles of World History, Sir Edward Creasy writes that in the Battle of Alexander the Great against Darius, Alexander's army was not even as big as Darius's right wing of his army, but he won the battle because they were so powerful. So you can have a bunch of yeshiva guys who don't know what they're doing. So it says Rabbi Yitzchak share their plan was not to be victorious. They didn't think they were going to overthrow the Greek Empire. They thought they were going to die as Kiddush Hashem. And they asked the Shaila, and they got the same answer Hanani Mishal and Zayah did. You don't have to, but if you choose to, you can. And that was their plan. They didn't expect to win. Do you expect me to talk, Goldfinger? No, Mr. Bond, they expect you to die. <laughs> and so they said to Yehuda Maccabee, Do you expect to win? No, I expect to die. Azkidah Shashem. And they were shocked when they won. They really weren't expecting that. It was very disappointing. Because when you die, Azkidah Shashem, you make a bracha. And they all came back. They were like, no, 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 no. Kudj Baruch Hu made this unbelievable nace. So you are allowed to, but you are not mechuyiv to. If, however, you are captured and you are put into a situation where you are given the choice to um, obey the laws of God or die, again, if it has to do with the Vodazarga, the Reish, if, uh, if they need workers on Shabbos and they just drag all the Jews, so then, you know, then it's uh, it's not Harig Valyava. Because they're not coming to destroy your religion. They just need you to do whatever it is. Yeah. So in that case, you understand uh, it doesn't apply. Okay, that's it for this episode. If you'd like to find out more about the show, go to the website, babylonski.com, where you can sign up for one of our online shiurim. Uh, Tefillah. Uh, we just finished our Tarkadosh. And now uh, we did the first three brachas, so we're skipping ahead. We're going to do the last three brachas. Because uh, those brachas you do all the time. And then I'm going to uh, I hopefully be ready in time for Hanukkah to put in the ideas of Alanisim and, and Hanukkah stuff. It's going to be great. <laughs> Boy, I feel so bad for you. I'm missing it. Like, Anyway, and I have two. Masil Shashar, Sunday and Monday. Um, we have the Dafyomi, of course. Um, a shout out to Moshe Davis, who is the only person who has signed up for all of the Shiram. He is in the Dafyomi, he is in the Sil Shisharm, he is in the Tvilashir. Some people just can't get enough of the good thing. What can I tell you? <laughs> so he's it. He, he wins the award, yeah. But, uh, you can sign up. You can make a comment. You can send an email. I'm a little behind in my emails, but uh, I'll get to them. And uh, that's why all of a sudden I get a sudden burst of, uh, of uh, enthusiasm and I answer like 20 emails. And people are like, uh, it's a little too late. The person already died. <laughs> I was like, oh, gee, I'm really sorry about that. Anyway, so, <laughs> so uh, it's too late. You, you, you never, didn't tell me which antidote to take, so. I already died from the poison. Oh, I'm terribly sorry about that. But anyway, <laughs> so um, uh, so uh, well, you can write an email, you make a comment, 
And that's it. That's it for this week. You can sponsor an episode. Yeah. You can sponsor an episode. Maybe you want people to buy your dream raffle and get a luxury million-dollar apartment overlooking the uh, higher bias. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, and other sponsors. Yeah, I'm still waiting for corporate sponsors. I, uh, you know, I, uh, I don't know why the uh, Jewish companies aren't beating down my doors to have the chance for me to make a spiel about them. And I will. I spiel. That's what I do. Uh, so, um, yeah. So, <laughs> I'm sorry. I was just doing my Joe Biden imitation. Anyway. <laughs> so, that's it for this episode. Uh, hope to see you next time. I am David Olavsky, and this has been The Rabbi Olavsky Show. It's The Rabbi Olavsky Show. Torah and Simcha, ready to go. The Rabbi Orlovsky Show. Knowledge and wisdom will help you grow. Lots of fun in every episode. And we don't have to rhyme. No, we don't. It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. On RabbiOrlovsky.com. Torah, anytime. YouTube and more. It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. Torah and Simcha. Ready to go, it's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. Till next time, till we meet again, it's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show.